Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, August the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays, we like to take a look at the lessons for the following Sunday. It's the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. The Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah, the epistle from Romans, and the gospel from Matthew. We're going to be taking a look at the lesson from Jeremiah chapter 15, beginning with verse 15. Yes, it's an Old Testament lesson, but it is addressed to many of us who are being persecuted today. Persecuted by those who no longer want to follow the will of God from the Holy Scripture. And there are churches where there are young people who are really upset that the Supreme Court has indicated that abortion should no longer be done, and they're making noises in the church. And then you have those who don't see anything wrong with gay activity. So a lot of times when we as Christians stand up for the word of God, we are mocked, we are persecuted, and the promises of God from the Beatitudes come true. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Well, Jeremiah at the time when the Babylonian captivity was in force, the Israelites were really upset that they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, as well as having Jerusalem destroyed and the temple. So this is Jeremiah who is talking to God. And he says in verse 15, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Now, that's a really, really important point that Jesus is the one who brings persecution on our persecutors. In other words, Jeremiah says, in your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Now this is very, very important because in the epistle from Romans 12, it says, beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, and then the quote from the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when we have an enemy, we don't have to worry, because God will take care of us. What is our task? with the enemy. 
Jesus explains that in Romans 12, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is really what Jeremiah is told in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. He says to God, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the thought of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. When are we called by the name of the Lord? When we are baptized, we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Christians are called Christians because we believe in Jesus Christ. And he knows our name. And he has given us promises. Jeremiah says, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. We're going to see more about that when on Wednesday we speak of the Proverbs. And in the Proverbs, we find exactly that thought, that we are not to sit in the company of evildoers. I sat alone, says Jeremiah, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Now, what does that mean? Well, it, it means what we as Christians should have in today's society when we run across people who not only do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior, but who do not abide by his precious word. And we can become indignant. We can become sad and angry. Jeremiah said, Why is my pain in unceasing? my wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? This is a question many Christians have, that they may be dealing with their own children and they can't seem to get across to them the importance of them attending church, the importance of their having a mindset that is in conjunction with that of the Holy Spirit. They know what the Holy Spirit desires as they have been brought up, but unfortunately, the pain of some parents is unceasing, their wound uncurable, 
refusing to be healed. And so we wonder, well, God, are you like a deceitful brook? We're thirsty, but the waters fail. Therefore, thus says the Lord. He's talking now to Jeremiah. If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. To stand before God. That's something that happened to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he was really indignant when he came down from the mountain and the people had made a golden calf to worship rather than the true God. So how do we, well, react to that? We react with indignance and we become like John the baptizer in proclaiming the will of God and urging repentance. That's what it means when the Lord says, if you return, I will restore you. He's not talking just to Jeremiah. He's talking to his people. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. Boy, is that ever an important passage to show you the route that a Christian uses in becoming and remaining a Christian. We use our mouth to speak the word of God. In fact, that happens often in a worship service. When I baptize an infant, I have no power to convert that infant. I have no power to forgive the sins. I have no power to give them faith. But God has the power, and he uses my mouth to proclaim his miracle. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we are being used by God. And how are we being used? with our mouth, not with our works. In other words, we speak God's truth to those who are no longer proclaiming that truth in order that they may be restored and stand before God. And what is precious in the Christian's life is his mouth because it will become the mouth of God. God continues in verse 20 and 19. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. In other words, pastors can tell you the many times that people have turned to Christ because of the mouth of a pastor. I really enjoy doing adult instruction classes because we begin with people, some who are not even Christian and some who are of different denominations. And we proclaim 
the word of God, much like Martin Luther discovered it in the book of Romans and throughout the rest of the scripture. It's called the use of the small catechism. And as people hear that word, boy, their hearts burn within them and they turn to God. And during an adult instruction class, I do not turn to their views. I will attempt to explain why their views are correct. Sometimes that's just done by explaining what the Bible has to say. For example, yesterday in yesterday's sermon, Peter is talking to Jesus that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, that did not come from your own mind, Peter, but it came from the heavenly father. And you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, the word Peter in the Greek is Petros, which means rock. And so we have some Christians who believe that Jesus is saying that Peter is really the head of the church, and through him, the church will be built. But when you take a look at the original Greek, it doesn't say that Petros will be the head of the church, but Petra, it's also a word for rock, but it's referring to the confession that Peter made. That is going to be what is at the head of the church. And you can turn to Isaiah where it talks that God will build his church upon the rock. And he's not referring to Peter. He's referring to the confession that Jesus is the Christ. So what's God going to do to you when you stand up for the word of God and your mouth becomes the mouth of God? Verse 20. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. Now, how can we be sure that they will not prevail over us? He explains it. For I am with you to save you and deliver you declares the Lord. Now, that salvation and deliverance may not occur till after our death and the day of judgment, but we can be sure that God's promise is sure so that when we stand up to the evil of our day and proclaim that they need to repent, yes, we may be persecuted, but God will make us a fortified wall of bronze and he will be with us to save us and deliver us. Verse 21 of Jeremiah 15 ends, 
I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Now, how he will do that, we do not know. But it will happen, even if it means final salvation and heaven as our home. And as is my custom, I always like to find in the readings for that particular Sunday a statement that appears to contradict what we believe as Lutherans. And I found that statement in the Gospel according to St. Matthew. When Peter is rebuked for saying that the Lord should not go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, how do we know how to set our mind on the things of God? We do so by becoming the mouth of Jesus by reading scripture and understanding what he has to say. Now, the passage that will cause problem is verse 27 and following. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, this is a teaching of the degrees of glory in heaven. We are unable to understand which Christians will have a higher degree of glory than others, but we know it will not diminish the bliss that we have in heaven. But then Jesus says something in verse 28, of Matthew 16. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, how do we explain that to an unbeliever? Because from the context, Jesus coming in his kingdom sounds like the day of judgment. But how then is it that some of the people that Jesus is speaking with, and they are his disciples, that they will not see death until the Son of Man comes in his kingdom? We're in the year 2023, pretty close to 2,000 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. He still hasn't come back. So how can it be that those to whom he is talking to, namely his disciples, that some of them will not taste death? We know that they all have died. And in fact, the apostles, except for John, died as martyrs, persecuted, being put to death for their love of Jesus. 
So how do you explain that passage? Because those people are not alive today. Well, we need to look more closely at the text. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, what is the kingdom of God? It's the Holy Christian Church. And when did Jesus come into his kingdom? It's not only on the day of judgment, when we will come into the kingdom of God forever and ever, but it's also when Jesus ascended from the dead and appeared to his disciples. Remember how he began the kingdom? He says, whosoever sins you forgive, they will be forgiven. And whosoever sins you retain, they will be retained. That's the kingdom of God. That's Jesus as the Son of Man who has come into his kingdom. He's in his kingdom from the point of view of his resurrection on. Remember, he just appeared in the closed rooms where the disciples were, and they proclaimed him, as Thomas did a week later, my Lord and my God. That's the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You are alive if you're listening to this radio broadcast, and therefore you have not seen death yet, and yet you have realized that the Son of Man has come into his kingdom. Hopefully, you see that every Sunday when you attend worship services at a proper Christian church and hear the message that we are not saved by our works. We're not saved under the law because Jesus did our works perfectly for us and then he transferred those works over to us and we became justified in his sight. That's the message that Jesus is saying in Matthew 16, 20, 8, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In fact, we are told in the Bible that after his resurrection, before his ascension, over 500 of his disciples saw him. And they rejoiced to see him because they were seeing the Son of Man who had come into his kingdom. That's very important to understand. If you ask a Christian, when will you come into the kingdom of God? Well, a lot of them will respond, well, that will occur after my death and on judgment day. 
when my body will be restored to my spirit. Well, that is true that that will happen, but that is not when you realize that the Son of Man is in his kingdom. It will occur either when you receive the sacrament of holy baptism and God declares you sinless, justified, and gives you the faith to become the mouth of God. As you become the mouth of God, proclaiming perhaps to your children Luther's small catechism, or to your friends at work, or your neighbors, or even in church, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. That, that's a wonderful experience to have when the whole congregation stands up and confesses the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, or the Athanasian Creed. They are professing that the Son of Man is in his kingdom. And therefore, the promises are true, that the Son of Man is with you to save you and deliver you, deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. We see many Christians experiencing that persecution today in a world that is moving further and further away from the mouth of Jesus. But to hear the mouth of Jesus and then proclaim it to the world is the greatest thing that a Christian can do. That's Jeremiah 15 with the promise that you have come into his kingdom in Matthew chapter 16. I'm Tom Baker. Join us tomorrow for the hymn, Hail Thou Once Despised Jesus. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.